Do I sound like an angel? You sound like an angel. You also sound like you want breakfast again. <laughs> you know what? Breakfast is... A meal. It's delicious. I love breakfast. I do love eggs. God, this is the most boring up top ever. Okay. Uh, everybody loves an egg and cheese. Nothing is boring about an egg and cheese. I like eggs. Gross. <laughs> I don't want Amanda in here. This is not about Amanda. Amanda, please. There are no Amandas in this film. Amanda, please. Really? There's a lot of women. <laughs> Lots of women. Mostly women. None of them named Amanda? Not that I can remember. Okay. So. <laughs> You're the host of this show. I'm just the Mother guest. Motherfucker. I haven't done one of these in months. Well, that should give you some clues as to what's happening here. Welcome to Horror or Not. How dare you step on my toes in my own fucking show. You don't see me coming in when you're recording narrations and just going like, what up, what up, what up, what up, it's Toaf in the house. It's because people would hate that. Maybe. You don't know. So yeah, welcome to Horror <laughs> Not. And I have my favorite rudest guest here. What's up? Nicole Lee Hood. Hey. Hey, hey. You know her from this podcast. <laughs> the rest of the episodes. So Talking at me every week, looking hot on Instagram. Hey, hey, hey. You know, I like... Actor, a, I, singer. I like my thirst traps. So for the sake of transparency, we'll tell, we'll tell you guys that yesterday we decided to watch this film, Jawbreaker. Yeah. You, you oh, you sorry, you mean uh, Clueless with More Murder mm-hmm. or Heathers with Less Murder? Yeah, yeah. Somewhere in the middle of those. It falls in the <laughs> spectrum. So we decided, we saw it on Shudder. We love Shudder, obviously. Thank you, Shudder. Yeah, thank Please you. Please sponsor us. Right, we would love that. But we saw it on Shudder and we both were like, huh, like I've never, I've heard so, so much about this movie, but I've never actually watched it. And yeah, friend of the pod, Nick Seely, has been on mm-hmm. my ass the entire time I've known. I think the first conversation I had with him was him yelling at me to watch this movie because I said how much I like Tethers. Well, and now and now we know why. It's It's great. But so we started watching it and within the first 30 minutes, we were like, oh, like, this is definitely more of a horror film than Heather's is. Because at first I was like, I don't know. I don't yeah. know if it's a, we, we might be able to do a horror or not episode on this. Or maybe not. I don't know. So the first 30 minutes I was like, okay, okay, okay. This is horror. And then it got a little cloudy. So I was like, all right, great. Now we can do a horror or not episode. Def. So here we go. We're uh, we're actually just going to do a little bit of plot. We're not going to like do anything too too crazy or in-depth because you've probably seen this movie. Do you just want to host the show? I do, yeah. I'm just going to take it and run with it. I Solo episode this week. I'm done. I'll just chill. I happily take up my own space. I'll just sit over here, <laughs> read Reddit, monitor, make sure you're saved and good, and I'll just take it over. You're good. That's all I had to say. Damn. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's the host in me. It is. Sorry, not Sorry. It's all right. I'm zero mad about it. All right. So we are going to be talking about Jawbreaker today. Unlike, well, I guess it, it varies from episode to episode because I leave it up to the guest as to whether or not we do plot outright or if we actually just like talk about, do like an Nexus Jesus thing where we just bring up the moments of the plot that are like relevant. But I think, Nicole, you wanted to kind of just dive into the plot for a quick hot second just to bang it out for anybody, for any of you who have not seen it. Yeah, or if you since, need a refresher, since we'll probably, uh, ref- I mean, we'll obviously reference it later in the in in the episode. But I think for this particular movie, it might be it might behoove us to do Ooh. like a fast and dirty 
just spark note synopsis of what goes down. I'm just stoked on you using that word while wearing my shorteralls. <laughs> it's a mood. It's a full Sunday mood here in the Horror Babe studio, meaning Topher's bedroom right now. <laughs> Soon. We ain't fancy yet. Not yet. Close to it. So since you were thinking about actually just knocking the plot out, do you want to go ahead and try and do like a little speed run on that? Uh, sure. Okay. So... Jawbreaker. Came out in 1999? Yep. 1999, Jawbreaker. Here we go. Buckle in. So, the movie starts off with an accidental murder. We've got three friends who play a prank on their fourth friend, Liz. Um, Every year for her birthday, they stuff a Jawbreaker, hence the name of the the movie. We've already got the (laughs) the title up top. They stuff a Jawbreaker in her mouth, tape it shut, blindfold her, throw her in the trunk. It seems like it's just something they... Well, it... At the top, it doesn't seem like something they do every year. You're like, what the fuck is happening? But anyway, so they get to the diner um, before they go to school and they open up the trunk and they have like a Polaroid ready to uh, a camera ready to take a Polaroid of her. And they open the trunk and bitch is dead. Just like the the body's already blue, all of that. They freak out. It's amazing. Yeah, they don't (laughs) they don't know what to do. So they call the they call the school pretending to be her mom saying like she ain't coming today. And so then they decide they have to cover it up instead of go to the police. So they all go to school and pretend like it, like, you know, nothing happened to the best of their ability. And then Fern Mayo, gay icon Fern Mayo, Mm -hmm. um, is the one who is chosen to take her Liz's assignments to her house. The girls freak out and they're like, we have to get there before Mayo. And so they hightail it out of school. They go and they beat Fern Mayo there to try to cover up this murder. They're trying to cover it up as an assault. So they rip her panties. They do all this all this stuff to the bed and all of that. Fern Mayo overhears. And so then Rose McGowan, who is kind of like head, head cheerleader HBIC. of, yeah, yeah, she's head bitch in charge. She basically threatens Fern Mayo saying like, you're not going to say, a damn thing and here's why you're not gonna say a damn thing because i'm gonna give you what you've always wanted you're gonna be one of us yep and so here comes the uh makeover scene transformation fern mayo is now a blonde bombshell and her name is now violet violet gorgeous yes stunning lovely so and then Julie, who is one of our one of our um, mean girls, I guess we'll call them, um, <laughs> is kind of like, no, fuck this. Fuck y'all. I'm not a follower anymore. I'm going to make my own decisions, which then alienates her from the group. She doesn't have a car anymore. She doesn't have like all of these things. So she's waiting on the bus and theater geek hot boy Zach finds her and is like, can I give you a ride? And so then they start dating and she then reveals the whole truth about what happened to Liz. And in the meantime, formerly Fern Mayo is just kind of becoming more and more of a quote unquote monster. She's, you know, she's she's using her looks for just, you know, to get she ahead, get what she wants. Out of she, it. Get, she get yeah, it, it, it's kind of wild, but it, it's in this heightened um, universe, so it makes sense. Yeah. And then so Rose McGowan is also threatening Fern, formerly Fern, and saying, like, I made you, I made you, like, I can take it back. So there's all this animosity between Rose McGowan and formerly Fern Mayo and Rose McGowan and Julie. And so Fern, formerly Fern, and Julie kind of team up and they're trying to figure out how they can expose Rose McGowan as the killer. So Zach 
theater nerd and Julie go to the diner and they try to find this Polaroid and they almost find it, but they so don't. So close. So they're kind of down on their luck. They're they're like, ugh, can't prove anything. We don't have any evidence. And because Rose McGowan framed this so well, she, oh, there's this great scene where she has sex with Marilyn Manson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah, what a crazy sentence. Um, On Liz's bed while Liz's body is like under the fucking bed. It's yes. crazy. So she completely frames it. So then they have that guy in custody and Julie's like, this is bullshit. So, so they can't... They can't find any evidence, and so they're really annoyed by it. But then, one fateful night, Julie's mom comes into her room and says, Liz's mom dropped this box of stuff off. It, it was, you know, some things of, uh, some items of Liz's, and she thought that you might want them. And Julie's like, okay. So then she dumps it out on her bed. There's like a koala stuffed animal. And then there's one of those cards, like birthday or whatever, uh, greeting cards that yeah, you... Yeah, record your own greeting ones. Yeah, you record your own. She opens it. And it is a callback to the beginning of the movie because she does open it from a pre... It's from a previous year, obviously. She opens it and then you hear Liz's voice and they all kind of freak out. So what must have happened is it re-recorded whatever Rose McGowan said when she opened it, which happened to be a confession of the murder. So Julie's like, holy fucking shit. And she calls her theater nerd boyfriend and she calls formerly Fern Mayo. And they're like, oh, the prom happens to be tonight because it's a high school movie. Of course. Duh. Prom Naturally, is the pinnacle. We have to have a prom. And we've played got the, by the Donnas. I was about to say, we've got the Donnas playing the prom. It's great. And so everyone's all dressed up in their, in their 90s glamour. And... We all know that Rose McGowan's going to win prom queen. Like, it's it's telegraphed through the whole movie. So, her jock boyfriend, Dean? Something like... Dane. Dane. Ah, it was so close. Dean and Dane. Is- right letters, wrong order. So, he wins prom king, and then, and then she wins prom queen. She gets up there, and we've got theater nerd Zach kind of playing with the uh, techie side of the yeah. audio. He's soldering some wires together. Yeah. And so then when Rose McGowan is about to give her a speech, he opens up the card and it says it says her confession. And everyone's like, at first, just like, what? So then he keeps playing it. And then she tries to explain herself after someone in the crowd goes, oh, my God, that's her voice. And she tries to explain it and he just cuts the mic. So then we cut to Rose McGowan walking through the crowd in kind of like slow-mo and is just getting stoned with corsages. Yeah, it's a really dope, weird, campy scene. It's awesome. And she's really playing it up, just like crying her hairpiece, her like metallic hairpiece has fallen out. Her hair is completely fallen down. She's like, you know, she's weeping. And then that's it. Yeah. That's the end of the movie. Yeah, Julie snaps her little Polaroid. (laughs) Yeah. And that's it, folks. God, so good. So So good. good. So good. Um, I really loved this movie. I It's it so got, funny, too, because, like, this movie is so... It, this movie was an absolute fucking bomb when it came out. It got scathing reviews. Like, I think 22% on Metacritic and, like, even lower on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Like, 11 or something. Um, it got scathing reviews. And I think I know exactly why it got scathing reviews for the time <laughs> it came out. Because people were used to movies like Clueless. Oh, God, what else came before? I mean, she's Heather's. All that. Yeah, she's all that. Like, uh, Can't Hardly Wait came out the same year. Um, yeah, yeah. They were they were kind of more so used to that. And I, again, just like the Blair Witch Project, think that this movie was just a little bit ahead of its time. Yeah. I think a lot of people um, were confused by the aesthetic of it. And I was so into the aesthetics of it because it... 
if you notice, every single character is kind of in a different decade as far as their aesthetics. Yes. We've mixed yeah. 50s. We've mixed kind of like a 60s, 70s Yeah, there's vibe. some mod vibes in there. And then yeah. we've also got some um, very 90s vibes. Yeah. Which... I mean, Rebecca Gayhart alone is just oh 60s, God. 70s She's my bombshell. Favorite. She's gorgeous in this. Yes, she is and my And she's just like a favorite. Bond girl vibe. She's got these like mod jackets on. Which also makes sense because she's the one who's like trying to not solve it. She knows what happens, but like expose. Yeah. She's trying to find the evidence to expose. So right. it makes sense that she's kind of like this Bond girl who's right. like... You know, it, it kind of, it, it makes complete sense. But I think that it was a little bit of ahead of its time because a lot of people thought it was going to be one thing. They thought it was going to mm-hmm. be Clueless and all of this. But it's really kind of a huge mixture of like a John Waters film. Thank you. Oh my God, I was going to say like, John Waters' name right out the fucking gate. Yeah, yes. yeah. There's so, so many influences here that I think people just got kind of confused by. And, and they think that it's like just another 90s teen drama, but... It's more ethereal than that. It's in a different, yeah. it's on a different plane to me. It's not set in reality. No, like, it's whatsoever. not. No, 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 no. It's in this heightened place. And it's funny too, because it's this same year, Big Lebowski comes out, right? Yeah. Which also has these weird, dreamy, high concept sequences, right? Yeah. All of those like big spinning shots, like the bowling scene from Big Lebowski, right? Yeah. With like um, um, Juliet, Julianne Moore, mm-hmm. just like zooming in naked in a Viking outfit, right? Yeah. All of that to me, is all of these weird sequences in Jawbreaker. And they came out the same fucking year. And one of them is praised as one of the greatest films of all time. And the other one is a cult classic. And I have theories about this. Now, this isn't normally what we do on the podcast, but I have a quick little thing. Like, this is, we're going to be, we we are going to dive more into a discussion of what, where this movie sits in the horror canon. For sure. In a second. But I want to say this right up top, because it's actually going to go into my first point. So, thinking of John Waters as well, Mm -hmm. I think that there is a certain kind of, transgression that comes from gay men directors that is never ever ever appreciated by the critical public yes yes that a gay man an openly gay man yes can make the same type of movie that was up for oscars that year and one is just completely maligned and the other is is lauded right Totally, totally. Joel and, e- Joel and Ethan Cohen can make Big Lebowski with all these big weird sequences and non-linear story structure. And everybody says this is the greatest film of all time and quotes it all the time. A queer man makes a movie about a heightened movie about a bunch of young women. Mm-hmm. Girls, really. And yeah, yeah. The actors are in their 20s, but they're supposed yeah, to be like... They're 17. 17, yeah. yeah. And so... He makes, you know, a, a queer man makes a, a movie about a bunch of young girls, and it's this heightened, wild, it's ethereal, plain sort of shit, just like Big Lebowski, but is just, yeah, completely ambassador for it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I know we, we both read uh, similar interviews with the cast, and at least, uh, maybe more of them said this, but at least Rose McGowan was like, was like, I mainly signed on for this film because I wanted to be a part of elevating a queer voice. Yeah. She said specifically that she had worked with queer directors before and writers and said that she really enjoyed that experience and enjoyed exploring that point of view and that she just wanted to contribute to that. And I think that's exactly what this movie is. It's so fascinating to see a 
queer writer and director kind of explore teenage sexuality. Yes. Um, because there's like that scene with the popsicle where right. where she um, where Rose McGowan's character um, tries Courtney, to, yeah, Courtney, yeah, Courtney gets Dane to basically go down on a popsicle, yeah, while she goes down on him. Like mm-hmm. she's like, you know, show me, and it's such like a, it's it's such a, like it's this beautiful transgressive moment. Transgressive yeah. is the word I keep coming back to because it yeah. is transgressive, and so that's going to lead us into our first point that yeah. I wanted to go over. Yeah. Before we just jump right into it, I want to kind of just say out what it is so we have some nice, clear things for everybody to hear. I also am going to say up top, I don't think this is a horror movie, and I'm going to spend most of this time exploring why. Same. Yeah. Yeah. So we're on the same page here. We're in agreement with that. Like I said up top. It is for a second, and then it stops being one. Yeah. I'd say the first act is a horror movie. And then it just turns into horrific circumstances, but because it's in a heightened world. It kind of fails to be. Yeah. Totally. So... The, what I've named this section in the doc <laughs> is uh, black comedy and camp as horror surrogates. Yeah. So there is a there's a very obvious reason that this was uh, like like a, a reason we can point to that we have evidence of of why this is no not a horror movie. Mm-hmm. So I should also say the writer and director's name is Darren Stein, mm-hmm. who has completed the book for the musical for this. And oh, actually fun. did a reading with uh, we were just talking about her Liz Gillies. Yeah, yeah. And like yeah. Frankie Grande. Uh, uh, oh, fucking uh, Kate Flannery from The Office. Nice. Uh, Meredith, who from The Office is in it too, was did uh, played Carol Kane's character. Of course, of course. <laughs> so Darren Stein, uh, this is all from a, a Vice interview that mm-hmm. that we both read. But Darren Stein said that when he started writing this, he had just finished his first feature. He had just shown it coming out of NYU. Yeah. And wanted to have his next one be a darker tone. So he starts writing Jawbreaker, and he immediately goes, "I want this to be a horror film." Yeah. And then without saying everything, you know, without saying the quiet part out loud, mm-hmm. uh, he says that, you know, it became a black comedy because the producers from my pre from Sparkler, mm-hmm. which was, you know, gay road comedy. Yeah. Um, he's like the producers from Sparkler knew some other producers who wanted a teen high school movie, like a teen comedy. And he's like, OK, I've already written Jawbreaker, but I can make that work. So I would love to see the first drafts of this. Yeah, because see like where it goes. Because we kind of said if there were um, if there were more murders that moved the plot along or happened yeah. along the way, maybe if there was more of a more of a mystery. I don't know. There was maybe if Courtney Shane becomes you know a serial killer, or maybe you know Fern becomes uh, starts doing her own thing. Like yeah, uh, you do. I mean, like Courtney's the, like already a sociopath. Yeah. So and and <laughs> Fern Violet becomes her. This weird combination of her and like she could go either way, right? She could be another Marcy, or she could be another Courtney, because she's not going to be Julie and she's not going to be Liz. No, you're right. And so it's funny that like actually no, she does become Liz in a way because Courtney even says you will take her place. Yeah, it's this. um, It's kind of like this matriculation. Yeah. Thing, but it's. But she starts yeah. beating Courtney because Courtney was always number two to Liz because everybody loved Liz and feared Courtney. Yeah, and it's kind of like Courtney drinks the Kool Aid and then is like or Violet. Y- yeah, well, well, after Liz dies, Courtney, Courtney's already a sociopath. We've, right. we've we've established that because she doesn't know that what she's doing is bad, and you kind of have this conflict the whole time of like. Did she know what she was doing? Yeah. Because she's the one who stuffed the jawbreaker in there, which um, I also, a, a, a strong point that a lot of people made about the the candy being a jawbreaker yeah. was a huge symbol 
for the high school experience anyway with like mean mean girls like it's this it's it's candy it's supposed to be young and playful and sugary and not of much substance but like it's called a jawbreaker yeah if you try to bite into if you try to to take a bite out of this life it'll break your jaw it's not a gumball it's a jawbreaker you know so um i kind of found that point to be you know that little detail to be interesting. I like that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's such an obvious sort of through line, but that's how camp works, right? Like exactly. camp is not supposed to, it's the anti-subtle. It's spoon-fed. Yeah, yeah, it's spoon-fed. And spoon after spoon after spoon after spoon. Yeah. You know, yeah. like this is. <laughs> exactly. So this is also just kind of a classic, classic like producer versus, you know, like writer sort of yeah. um, creative. Yeah, yeah headbutting that kind of happened but but he adjusted really well he did he pulled it off it's a great movie and then also also it was really amazing to see like what you were talking about in the big lebowski like they kind of just took weird imagery and ran with it like it's references to grease is what it feels like like it fully feels like the grease lightning sequence yeah yeah it's and again, I'm going to go back to having a queer writer and director write women and women being sexual. Because yes. to me, it this movie is extremely horny. It's horny it's, as fuck. It's Holy extremely shit. horny. It's 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 probably it it exceeds Mean Girls. It exceeds, and I know that Mean Girls came after it, obviously, but you know what I'm saying. It exceeds Clueless by a mile with how yeah. horny it is. It exceeds like. All of these uh, movies that it's compared to all the time, even like like what Wild Things with uh, uh, Matt Dillon and oh uh, yeah and Denise Richards and what was that Nev Nev Campbell yeah because the only which is like, a very horny movie but it's like a it's like a sinister like dark thriller horny and Cruel Intentions too yeah um, but both of those have this a different vibe this is like playful but scary horny yeah and <laughs> and this one for me is I don't know I. I've grown extremely sensitive to when women are being sexualized in a fair in an in a terrible way, in a misogynistic way. I yeah. I'm extreme I'm I, I think I'm extremely sensitive to that now. And this felt more empowering than anything. Well it, Amy Vincent was the cinematographer. Right. She shot like Hustle and Flow, Black Snake Moan. That's Both right. of which have like a horny element, but they are shot with a different eye. They're not shot well, and male gaze. Well, it also was just how it was just how it was written because, um, yes, a lot of their uh, conversations are about men, so they don't exactly pass the Bechdel test. But a lot of them also do. Yeah. Um, and most of the conversations are about the murder of their best friend. And, and yeah. <laughs> um, so. And who will rule the school? Which has nothing to do with the boys. Like they come up. They occasionally. have nothing to do with the boys. Yeah. It's it's all more about whenever they're talking about a guy in this. For the most part, I mean, I could go back and watch it and pick it apart completely. But my impression of it was whenever they are talking about a boy, it's a lot about power. Yes. It's it's not about does he like me? Will he like me? A lot of it's like a lot of it's like um if we're talking about Dane, a lot of the time it's 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 her just kind of being like, Well, he's a blip in time. He's yeah, a moment. He gets the like, job done right now. He gets the job done right now, but I realize that I'm going to college and I'm not gonna be like pining after this guy. Yeah, she literally and, says, I don't care what he does after prom. I just need him until then. Yes. And that's coming from a sociopath, fine. And she also yes, says for like sure. <laughs> um when she's talking to Violet about the about how to make how to grow her status and make her the hot bitch now. Yeah. She's like, you need a boy. Yeah. And then like and Marcy's like, why not her. several? 
Yeah, and, they try to like go after Zach too, and that's when the iconic they scene point, happens. Like, they don't talk about him like he's a person. They talk about him like a piece of meat. Yeah, so a lot of it is or like a tool. So a lot of it is how men have talked about women in all of these in all of these '90s teen dramas, right? Yeah. Like they, it's, it's she, like it's the opposite of, or the inverse of she's all that, right? Where I was about to like, say that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Sorry that we're sharing a brain today. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Couple Terrible problems. thing to have with your problem with your partner, right? Hello. Couple problems, but yeah. So I think that's what I think that's partially why I really enjoyed this movie because it not only was it was it was horny and it was sexual, but it was in such an interesting way. Again, I'm going to bring up the popsicle scene. Like yeah. that was such a special erotic scene. Yeah, that I I don't think I'll ever forget it. Yeah, like. Well, and it doesn't feel like any character in this movie is fully straight either, which is really great. Like, it's no. not, there's no explicit. No, there's not. Sexuality. And I like that about with um, Fern Mayo. They're like, is she, does she want to? Because there's this whole question when a lot of people are um, figuring out their sexuality is like, do I want to be them or do I want to be with them? Yes. That especially in um, lesbian culture that is a huge thing where you you realize you have this moment of like you know oh i don't want to be them i want to be with them i'm like actually i'm not like idolizing them i'm you know fantasizing about them them. i'm into them yeah so that's where they did leave fern mayo's open for interpretation but my interpretation the whole time was fern mayo is just, gay. just gay as hell. It's gay. Gay as a fucking gay daisy. icon, gay as hell. <laughs> but oh my god. Doc Martin's flannel, hiking, all of it. I love her. You hauls formerly Fern Mayo Violet. I love yes. that character. And it's it's implied that Liz might be as well. That's the thing. It's like there's a yeah, lot of implication of sexuality. We don't know a lot about Liz, which leaves it up to the imagination. Right. But there's the whole thing of like Julie seems to imply that she might not be into men. And right. it seems like she and Julie might have had a thing. Well, and here's here's also the thing here is that how many teen teen dramas when someone dies, like let's take Twin Peaks, for example. Sure, yeah. Laura Palmer had um James. Yes. And what happens after that person dies? It's the boyfriend that we usually follow. Um, yeah, we follow a lot of people in Twin Peaks. Obviously, it's very character driven. But if Liz had had a a specific significant other, we would have followed them. Yeah, that's just usually how it goes down. So it kind of sounds like she was, you know, the apple a lot of of she was the apple of a lot of people's eye, but she didn't have a special someone that we knew about. Yeah, we follow we follow Julie. And that's where I'm reading a lot of that implication in yeah. terms of like storytelling, right? That's how you're right that that's how you tell it. When you have a character who dies, you follow their closest loved one. Because that's where the heartbreak is and that's where yes. the story is. Yeah. That's how you find out more about them. Right. So, yeah. So, anyway, we should get a little bit back more into like where this falls away from horror. We Definitely. kind of have a little bit here, but it, it, I just want to keep it. I want to get back to the sort of camp of it all. Yeah. And so the, the reason I had that header of black comedy and camp as horror surrogates. I just needed to praise it as a an iconic uh, queer movie. <laughs> Absolutely. No, because this was I mean, it was noted that this was just like do, the, uh, like punk women and gay men dove on this movie. 
Totally. That's who made it popular. Because that's where I heard about it from was every single person was like, you know, it was the first bisexual and lesbian women I knew. And they were all in like the goth punk community. Yeah. And uh, it was, you know, the gay men I knew in high school growing up and everything. And like, okay, yeah, this is the movie that they would talk about. It was also, you know, it was John Waters. It was all of this and that. But this was one of the ones that came up most frequently. Yeah. Just because it did become like a VHS cult classic. Definitely. Because, it, yeah, it got its life on video, not in the theaters. Yeah. So, yeah, it's always weird. Sorry, I, that's another thing I just want to say real quick, but, and then we will actually get back to the show that we do. Um, how many... So this is something I was sort of thinking about last night after we'd watched this and sort of this morning while I was having my coffee was, why is it that every cult classic is usually a queer classic? Look at Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm-hmm. Look at Hairspray. Look at Cecil B. Demented. I just threw down two John Waters, but I'm trying to think of like all these cult classic movies, right? Sleepaway that, Camp. Sleepaway Camp deals with yeah, yeah. a lot of um, queer themes. Yeah. So and so it's it's very interesting to me that the ones that become cult classics are usually the ones that I mean we we I'm I'm not saying the 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 actual thing here, but it's because we put down queer voices, and I get that. But it's it's very right. interesting that like every single cult classic I can think of off the top of my head does deal with queerness in some way. Right? Am I am I wrong here? Well, I, I I think that that is definitely that is definitely a common theme, um, and it's I think it has a lot to do with representation. I think yeah. that it's kind of um, because being queer or just even being androgynous, yeah, in in any um, form of the word, it was kind of like an underground thing. So when a group of people sees that representation um, on screen. It, it becomes like a devotion. Yeah, it's something know? that I was drawn to for sure. Exactly. So, and I think that, I mean, I think that it, it's fascinating that it's not, I, I guess it's because of all of the repressed queerness that for that like is still happening. Yeah. Because, I don't know, it's, it's so, that's so, that's such an interesting thought on this because if queerness wasn't uh, repressed as much as it is, it would just be a classic. Yes, and that's what I'm trying to get at, right? But yeah, I think, I mean, I, I think that that's the unfortunate reason that it boils down to is that we put down queer artists Yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think that's 100% it. And it's just frustrating to me because I'm like, okay, well, is all of my work always going to be put down? <laughs> well, that's we, a lack of funding on my issue or for my for what I have to do. But yeah. Well, we can just hope that, I mean, it. we can just hope that it becomes more more normalized and just hope that we keep yeah. moving we keep moving forward that these you know these queer stories are um valuable and meant to be heard and protect black trans women yes oh full-on number one stance of this podcast Seriously. and all its iterations yes jesus um, so yeah when it comes to that i'm thinking of so this is sort of i guess back to where i was thinking about the camp of it all right yeah and I think where it, where I'm really getting to now, I'm sort of forming this thought as we're talking, but this movie is very sinister. This movie is horrifying and sinister yeah. and weird and creepy. And like, I was engaged and thrilled the whole time, but I was also horrified. Like it, if we were just going to go with like how I felt, it's a horror movie. It's not structurally. It doesn't manage to like really capture all of that. And I think that that's why I wanted to bring up the studio interfer- interference. And I think that's why I wanted to bring up the studio interference earlier is that like, I feel like studio interference has robbed us of so many potential horror classics. If this had gone in with those murders, like we talked about, like if, if Courtney Shane becomes a serial killer, 
Yeah. This is a horror classic. Like oh, there's yeah. this is gorgeous. Like she had just come off of Scream a few years earlier too where she was a victim. Yeah. And ha- to have her play this like scary like very mask in her personality but hyper femme in her body. I would like Rose love, McGowan's even talked about that with herself. I would love to see um Courtney Courtney Sw- Swain? Shane. Shane. Dane, Dean, Shane. It's a bunch of 90s ass names. Yeah, exactly. I would love to see Courtney Shane up there with Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers. Like, like, let's just give that, Sonico, you know. Like, like yeah. yeah. Let's just, like, put her up there. I would love to see that. Because we still haven't totally gotten that. The closest we've gotten yeah. would be what, uh, Jennifer's Body, which you still need to see. Yeah. But, like, that's the closest we get to having, like, this hyper hot. We've got the Love Witch. We do have the Love Witch. She does. She kills yes, a lot of people. Yes, that's that's yeah, and that was just in the last couple of years. So yeah, that's, but that again is kind of a cult classic. Yeah. Well, at least a cult following. I don't know what. what I, I, line I don't, like we can't call it a classic. To, yet, yeah, I was going to say but, you can't. Yeah. yeah, but it has a big cult following. Um, a cult following is what I meant. Yeah. Um, but it's not a household name. That's yeah. that's also the thing though is that you have to because. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Nightmare Nightmare on Elm Street, and, you know, Halloween and all of these things are just straight-up classics. So, yeah, it does almost have to become a horror classic to have this character in that top, like, killer tier. Yeah, and like I was saying yesterday, I was like, well, I guess I fucking have to write this script now. <laughs> I know, it's because it's <laughs> And I'll such get accused an... of ripping this off and ripping off Heathers and ripping off Mean Girls and yada, 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 and well, that's Well, because fine. it's such an interesting concept where... Like I said, you're you're a little bit conflicted because Courtney's personality is exposed a lot through this. Yeah. Like her friends learn like uh, whether they know the word for it or not yet. It's never said in the movie, but um she's a sociopath. Yeah. Entirely. And so um people are learning this about her and um it would have been so interesting to think about um like we we're not sure if she meant to put the jawbreaker in, if, or if she knew what she. Or yeah, was it subconscious? Let me take that again. Sorry. Yeah. Um, we're not sure if she knew the possibility of um, killing Liz. Yeah. We're not sure how cognizant she was of that happening, mm-hmm. um, as viewers. So it would have been so interesting to see kind of her psyche unravel in that way and kind of taste that she gets her first taste of um, killing someone, whether it's intentional or not. And then she just like kind of likes it and become like that would have been totally does. She does, but there's no action taken upon it afterwards, except for something very passive. Yeah. She's like, but passive. She's like, like, I'll destroy lies. Blah, blah, blah. Like she tries to frame Fern for the murder Mm -hmm. or at least so doubt. And then she frames Marilyn Manson for it. Yeah. Which is his own sinister moment. Like this is where that's sick, dude. Your friend's she rotting corpse yeah. is underneath the bed and you fuck a man just to like frame him and ruin his life and cover your back. That's sick. It totally is. And I want to see that character more. Like that's where I wanted this to go. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that you're absolutely right that it was studio interference and I would kill to read the first draft of any the of them. Yeah. The first couple had. drafts that he had. I would yeah. love to see that because I've got to believe that's where it went. You know, I would kill to see it. Hilarious. Lol. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Um, it's to die for. To die for. Um, yeah, it just yeah. would have been so great if this had gone in like a, 
a darker Tucker and deal direction, right? I am glad a series that... of murders that they have to continue covering up. Yes, yes, kind of like a comedy of errors, sort of. Thing. Yeah, like I was saying, like yeah. do it as a farce, but like this weird, campy, dark farce. Oh, that would have been where so Tucker cool. and Dale is a very lighthearted horror comedy. Yeah, it would have been dope to see this be like the really sinister side. Right. I am really glad though that it is on um, that it is on Shutter. Yeah, it's going to expose a lot of more people to it. Exactly, and I always talk about um, gateway movies into um, horror, and I think that you know, for people who enjoy Cruel Intentions or Clueless or Heather's or any you know movie like that. This is kind of another step in that direction to exploring the super fun genre that is horror. Yeah, um, and I think it's it's so nice to have... I mean, it's part of why we do the show, right? Is to talk about borderline things, and that's all about gateway movies a lot of times. Yes. But it's super dope for this super cheap app. This is not an ad. It just sounds like one, but it's like five bucks a fucking month, dude. It's cheaper than everything else. Mm-hmm. And it's it's they they've introduced me to a lot of movies. Yeah, I think that's what's great. It's like very wide selection. It's a weird selection too, which is great. Yeah, like that's how we watched The Ring for last week's episode, and like, Mm -hmm. so it's it's nice that it's nice to see movies out there and someone committed to putting movies out there or like highlighting movies that aren't your standard ones. Like, I go on Netflix, I go on Hulu, I can find some weird picks on Hulu. That's always nice. They've always got some like weirdness because they curate a little bit more. Netflix is just like throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. And like I've, we've watched a lot of movies on there, everybody has, but like I rare we rarely use it for horror. That's very true, actually. Netflix is like, yeah, Netflix gives you all of the very, very, very popular stuff or their own originals. You yeah, know, like, um, and then oh, Hulu, I do, I do keep meaning to watch the cheerleader. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Hulu or the gives babysitter. You, that's what it was called. Hulu gives you a little bit more of a curated selection, but Shutter's amazing. Um, you can really find some some off the beaten path stuff yeah. on Shutter, but yeah. So this so Jawbreaker for me is a little bit more of a horror film, be, just because we've covered this one before. It's a little bit more of a horror film to me than um, Heather's is. Yeah, because um, Heather's is a fucked up love story. Yeah, and where this one falls on um, the spectrum for me, and I think that this is something I think this is something we agree on is that yeah, the first the first scene is straight out of a Even horror the, movie. The first act, yeah. Well, and you've got and you've got all of these references, um, all of these horror references that are really yeah. fun nuggets to find if you're PJ you know, Souls as well-versed. Liz's mom, right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, uh, Pam and like it, it references exploitation too, with Pam yes, Greer yes. being this like black exploitation detective, definitely, right? Yeah. And so there's all these really good traditional camp things. They make Carrie references. Oh yeah, yeah. There's that one part in the in the convertible where um, I think it's formerly Fern. Yeah. Um, says says like, oh yeah, and I'll just get some pig's blood. We'll, like when we'll stop talking- by the <laughs> slaughterhouse and grab some pig's blood. Yeah, when they're talking about the how to get back at Courtney, the the prom and everything. Yeah. Uh, but what's one of the most amazing um, iconic moments that I also will never get out of my head, um, other than the popsicle scene, is when they're all three of them are in, you know, their respective matching high heels. Yes. And they're scuttling by the pool, carrying the dead body from the trunk of the car 100%. into Liz's home to try and so stage good. the stage uh, the the murder or whatever. Uh, cover up their murder, but stage another one. Yes. Um, 
but it's just kind of such a perfect shot where you only see their feet above the side of the pool and they're just like shuffling just yeah, shuffling like and little, they've got like you know her it's like body a little pill bug like, or something like that just like i like yeah i just yelled like oh my god great shot when we when that scene came up but and i'm trying to get her up the stairs all of that like there's a lot of dope horror and there's a great horror moment with the card you mentioned yeah because foxy marcy mm-hmm tries to reposition her head and like snaps her neck oh my god and she's it's those big wide eyes and you can always like every shot they have for you can always see the jawbreaker bulging in her throat it's so crazy and so this is really it's amazing creature feature makeup like it's so well done yeah and then right after that is when julie opens the card and it's it's liz screaming what are you doing to me oh god yeah, and so they all panic. Then even yeah. Courtney panics. Then and so it's there's all these amazing horror moments in the first half hour, the first act of this movie, right? Because it's only what eighty seven minutes long. Yeah, and which a lot of people complained about. Which they're like, it can ba- it barely made ninety minutes. I'm like, okay. Yeah, because they had to cut out a bunch of stuff so they could get the R rating, not the NC seventeen rating. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> The first cut they showed in theaters, apparently people were just like screaming at the movie screen and so angry and walking out just pissed off. Oh, and the M- MPAA gave them an NC-17. And Darren Stein's just like, I don't know. They're fucking prudes. I don't fucking care. Agreed. Because one of them was like the sex scene with Marilyn Manson. Uh, they had to cut out the number of thrusts that he made. Oh, God. Because okay. it was too... Like, and it was done in like slow motion and like it was supposed to be a send up of this of the sex scenes that happen in every teen movie. Yeah. But instead of playing shot A, they're playing like Veruca Salt or something like that. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, so I think where we land on this movie is probably those first couple drafts would have been would have been considered a horror a film. A brilliant horror film. But because of studio interference, this became this went from a horror film up top to fading into horrific circumstances that drives the plot. Yeah. And yeah, is the reason why anything happens after that. But nothing really horrific happens aside from uh, Rose McGowan and Marilyn Manson having to. Yes. Oh, he's like, so good in this too. He no, doesn't he's have a, great. He's amazing in this. He has. He doesn't have his makeup on, and he has like a mustache. They. They he clearly looks so take good. Him. <laughs> he's like kind of like skeezy hot in this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm kind of like I would give him a second look. And his his character name is just the stranger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh. <laughs> but so yeah, it it kind of just fades into a dark teen comedy. Yeah. After the first act, which I'm still I'm still fine with, but I just would have really loved to see a straight up teen drama that just was a horror film. Yeah, that's like, and that's what I wanted out of this, and we didn't get it, and that's okay. Maybe maybe we'll make great. it. You know, I will still watch it. Yeah, I it's, I lo- it time it's time such again. a fun movie. I was like, we were saying yesterday, I was like, okay, what do we want to watch whenever, this is now what we watch when we want to watch Heathers, but we've but just, just watched, watched Heathers, Heathers, which yeah. is usually most of the time. Because <laughs> we love that movie too. So yeah, like it, it's, it could have been there, but it, yeah. it, it, it wasn't Just quite. misses the mark. Just misses the mark, um, which is a-okay, because again, I recommend this movie. Yeah. Totally. Go watch it. Go watch a queer person's perspective on the teenage um, experience. Yes, yeah, it's, it's so great. fucking cool. It's so fucking fun. Everybody in it is just doing the most in the best way. Carol Kane is this like fretting high school principal 
and like none of the characters match either. Oh, and fucking Kaniki plays Marcy's dad. It's so, yeah, they're so, <laughs> that scene is so weird where he starts it's like singing so and she's like, oh, uh, oh my God. And it's kind of like, it's again, it's one of those weird horny moments in this, you know? Yeah, where you're it's just like, like, what's going on? Maybe it's just because all of the step porn that's out there these days. But Ugh. like, that's immediately what I was like, oh no, I hope this doesn't turn into that. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I I think that was my my major my major point on this movie was close, but you know, missed the mark after the first act. Yeah, which is a shame. It happens. Yeah, it's funny that we think this is more of a horror movie than Heather's, but Heather's has way more murder. Yeah, it's just it's. I was trying to justify that in in my head earlier um, as to why I feel that way, and I think what it I think what it is is it has. To, it's more heightened and it's more leaning into the camp. Yeah. Uh, Heather's is like you said, a fucked up love story where yes, there is a monster, but there's also a monster in this. Like I was trying to do it in a very yeah. like, you know, um, T chart way. No, like, for sure. Comparison. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, there's a monster in both of them. Um, there are more deaths in Heather's, but again, it's more of just like, a there's also a reluctant monster in both of them in that you have Fern Violet and Veronica. And Veronica. Those are both yeah. reluctant monsters. Yeah. I think this one just with the brutality of it up top. Yeah. And the brutality that remains in your mind. Like they don't yeah. ever stop reminding you of they what's show going you, on. Yeah. They show you it a lot. So yeah, I think it's the unsubtle campiness of this that really veers it over into horror but it veers it over into the campy horror which is which is a subgenre so yes. it's technically true and should not be ignored and this is a really great thing yeah exactly so i think with heather's not leaning into any sort of subgenre of horror we can't if we're talking about like technicalities yeah this edges just a little bit they're very close they're yeah. very close but this one just passes heather's for me I, it does by a little bit wider margin for me because Heather's just yeah. it, I watch it and I'm horrified but I'm I'm more sad in a way yeah for JD and for Veronica right especially after like you know I've listened to the musical 500 times since you introduced me to it yes it's amazing and it's one of those things that I think I, I get sadder and sadder for JD every time yeah the circumstances and sadder and sadder for Veronica are, every time are, are very sad yeah um I just always feel really bad for Veronica and really bad for JD. Here, I don't actually feel bad for anyone because they all did a horrible thing. Like, yeah. they're all equally complicit in this situation. Well, and they do a really good job in this of making you really not sympathize. Yeah, even as much as you want to with Rebecca Gayhart with her, like, classic beauty face. For sure, but you're all just, like, you're you're all, like high school twats you know yeah. what i mean like nobody nobody <laughs> Just really blew the mic out on that because it was so good <laughs> but like nobody no, you're not it's it's another through line of these teen dramas you're not yeah. supposed to feel sorry or you know you're not supposed to feel sorry for for really anybody even in like 10 things i hate about you do you ever actually feel sorry for any of them no, no they're rich hollywood high schoolers they're all so rich i don't give a fuck <laughs> about your problems like you live in the hills in Seattle. Like you've got this giant house, and your dad's a guy now. Well, and the like, only the only um, the only person you probably could, or the only people you could probably feel sorry for, are Liz's parents. But we see them once when they come home from their extended like trip, where they just right. have left her alone in the house. <laughs> um, in this mansion, yeah. You don't even see them grieve, which I think is on purpose. 
you don't see them. You it cuts straight yeah. from like we're home to like investigators coming and taking yeah, photos. Yeah, we see them next to the bed and like start to grieve, and then it's immediately it. into investigation. Yeah, so it's clearly intentional that like, and it, and it, it it plays into the genre of like teen drama that we're yeah. not actually supposed to feel sorry for any of these people. Yeah. I just think this movie is so well written. I can't believe that anybody hated this movie. I can because like people are idiots, but yeah, it's one of those that I'm just like, seriously, you yeah. didn't love the ever loving shit out of this movie. Well, again, I think it was ahead of its time. Yeah. Keeps being like that, huh? Yeah. And that's, that's it for me. That's, yeah. that's all I really have to say is that it was just kind of ahead of its time. All right, babe. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people... Oh, I had to people... travel so far. I know. From the bed <laughs> to my desk. Plug your shit. Oh, um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, um, my handle is Nicole Lee Hood. Uh, the middle name is L-E-I-G-H. Um, should be pretty easy to find you. It, you can also find me on, you know, Horror Babes podcast. Yeah, you can find us through the Instagram. Yeah. There. And then my, my Twitter is also the same, at, at Nicole Lee Hood. Yeah. So pretty simple. I'm Topher. You know me. Horror na. Horror Babes. I write. I direct. Hopefully I have some projects coming up soon that I'll be able to talk more about, but nothing that I can talk about yet. That's it. Love y'all. Bye. Bye.